Welcome back to Episode 7, Season 2 of Retromancer, a monthly podcast of two friends exploring their favorite game, Netrunner. to midnight sun season steven how does it feel it feels great nathan everything's going great so it was about a month ago that we got to participate in spoiler season which was really really fun here we are we're a couple weeks in and a lot of stuff has happened so given that we're mostly focused on startup nowadays a lot of really exciting and important startup announcements have happened that i think it's probably important that we should cover in case anybody's uh, particularly interested and doesn't want to miss it. So the first one is uh, we have our own tournament coming up. Oh yeah, so we're actually hosting a circuit opener on August the 27th on Saturday. And I'm going to link the event page on Always Be Running in our show notes so you can just kind of get the exact time for your own time zones. Uh, I've got a little link in there that'll jump you to it. You'll sign up. There's an entry fee, it's $10, and that's just to cover the shipping of the prizing to everybody. And it'll be a circuit opener kit. The winner gets invited to the circuit opener invitational, and we've got lots of cool prizing from the kit. But basically, you sign up, and you play, you have a corporate runner deck, you're locked in for the tournament, but you alternate playing different people. So in a traditional tournament, you would play the runner and corp against the same person who's running their runner and corp deck. But in a single-sided Swiss event, each round you're paired with someone new. So you'll play, let's say you'll start with your runner, then you'll play against someone with their corp, and then you'll play a, a third person. And then you'll keep doing this. So you get a lot more games, a lot more, get to meet new people, and you get to play against uh, a wider variety of decks. So you're basically, instead of playing two games with each person, you're just playing one game with each person. And then the sorting algorithm for the tournament tries to balance out so that you're playing an even number of corp and runner games. Exactly. And another big part of it is that this way you're going to get more games against more people, play more variety. And it just, uh, after I tested it out casually uh, in your Sengren's tournaments, uh, we're going to use his website to kind of host the host the event just the the pairings and everything and then we'll run everything on uh, the discord server that nisei runs so it's going to be great going to be a fun event uh, open to everybody around the whole world so if you're interested and free around that time please uh, come and play awesome yeah be really excited um we could probably see uh, all of our friends from the last tournament yeah that'd be great and all you know even bigger news is coming up uh worlds right oh oh boy all right, so uh, so Nisei announced that there's going to be a startup event at Worlds. So I think it's pretty exciting to kind of see that they're sort of uh, moving away from Worlds being necessarily just the the Worlds tournament for Standard and kind of realizing that now Netrunner's getting a little bit broader and turning it more into this is the Netrunner event um, and we're going to have lots of things going on there. And it was already like that because they were already doing cleanup yeah. servers um, pre-worlds, and they're going to still do that, it seems. But then they're also going to have um, a startup tournament there as well. So um, it's in Toronto uh, on uh, October 7th to 9th. 
so uh, w one of the things that I hear people say every single time um, is, is that they're like, you know, you're going there to play a tournament, but like at the end of the day, like everyone there is just really excited to play Netrunner and hang out with other people who are excited to play Netrunner. And even if they don't do well, they end up meeting lots of really awesome people that, gosh, some of the people, so, some of these people, I mean, we've known for years and years and years and years now from going to these events that we just, you met them there and then you're like, hey, you're really cool. And then, you know, you still see them on Gentechi.net. You sometimes chat with them on Discord. Um, Netrunner's an awesome community. So even if you don't intend to, or if you don't expect to do well, um, if you can make it out there, it's always just really fun to hang out with all the Netrunner. It should be noted that uh, I think the king of servers is on the, uh, sorry, the crown of servers is on the October the 7th. The uh, standard event is on the 8th. And then on the 9th is the cut for standard. And then they'll be having the startup event all in one day. So just make sure you check out, we'll have the, the link to Worlds in general and also to the startup event specifically. And another important note, I don't believe you're gonna to get to design a card if you're the startup winner, but you get to, de to be depicted in the art of something. So you get to kind of, kind of be the lead uh, of an exciting art project. And I don't know if it'll just be a promo card or they'll actually, you know, will you get a play bet? I don't know. We'll see. So it could be fun. Exciting. Well, I really appreciate that they're, uh, that they're um, being inclusive because um, startup is, I think the thing is the startup is a lot bigger than they expected it to be. And so they're responding to that. And that's fantastic. Yeah, it, it kind of feels like it's, uh, you know, embracing the whole, all aspects of the community. You have the FUD team event. They're also going to have uh, side events where you could, like, challenge people, gunsling. So that, you know, that sounds really neat. So, yeah. And that that's, yeah. But uh, I guess we should sort of address some other news, too, that's come out of Midnight Sun's release. All right. So, um yeah, so for people, and this is probably more relevant for people who play um, startup. Uh, well, actually, so the first one is is um, there were some misprints in their very early printings for Midnight Sun. Um, and that actually, I think you got some, right, Steve, that had some misprints because you ordered exactly. right away. I, I FOMO. I had to buy as soon as possible. And... <laughs> turned out some stuff slipped through the cracks so they've got a way that you could request replacements if you desire but you know i'm going to be keeping my special first edition midnight sun cards where they're worth hundreds of dollars in you know the distant future so you know i don't mind my misprints oh my gosh It'll yeah be a that's collector's right item. Uh, but if you are dissatisfied oh, the new beanie baby you can get a pristine version uh okay good so that's the first thing and then the second thing was um so, like I said, this is probably more relevant to people in the startup community. Um, so, Nisei released Midnight Sun, and unfortunately, they kind of had another change that was um, important, important that they were also changing the card backs um, for this next set. And unfortunately, they didn't get that information out before... A number of people had purchased the Midnight Sun uh, set, and uh, 
And so they didn't know that they were getting these different card backs. So for people who play, um, especially people who play a lot of standard, this is probably not really an issue because they're already mixing their startup cards with um, the standard cards printed by yeah. Fantasy Flight, which the card backs are different. So those players are already playing with opaque card backs. And if you are playing with opaque card backs, then this is not an issue. And that was the expectation that Nisei had. Um, however, if you are someone who actually isn't playing with opaque card backs, um, you're playing with clear or sleeves. Or no sleeves. Or no sleeves. Um, then this would definitely pose a problem. And I suspect they probably just didn't expect uh, the number of people to be playing, you know, this way. And so uh, what Nisei has kindly offered to do is basically said, hey, if you've bought your cards in the last year, we will offer you a free reprint uh, through an exchange program of the entire first set of Nisei cards, which would be system update system gateway and also the entire ashes cycle um, so if you have your proof of purchase and you have your cards um, there's a couple different ways to do it and and they can't do it immediately because this is uh this is something they just came up with they said let's go reprint all the original cards with the new card backs because those are what we're moving forward with in the future and you can get uh, a whole set of those cards so that they'll match all of the cards moving forward and you can continue playing with clear sleeves so that's really that's really great of them. Um, the only kind of downside is is I don't think that you're going to be able to make those exchanges immediately. Um, so uh, unfortunately, we're going to have to wait a little while on that. But um, when that finally happens, then uh, then you can have a full contiguous set of Nisei cards that will all it, match. It should also be noted that when they first did the downfall set, uh, an uprising. There actually was a shade difference in the card backs as well in that set. So, in Nisei art, you really actually, if you're playing startup, you probably should have been playing with opaque sleeves just to prevent yourself from knowing what cards were in that specific cycle, that specific block. Mm. Um, so for me, I was already using opaque sleeves because of that. But you know, if you're if you're new to the game, and I sleeve all my board games in clear sleeves normally because they have have really fun card backs and I want to let my players right. and myself see them as we're playing the game. So I totally understand if you're just getting into the, you've not really pay, played a lot of competitive games. You're more of a board gamer or you're just getting into it. You know, you're going to have clear sleeves. That's what you normally buy or, or you already have a ton of them. So I totally can understand the frustration if suddenly you're like, wait, I, I know exactly which cards are midnight side cards because of the back. So, so that's definitely relevant to startup players. Uh, especially because they're going to be the ones that are more likely that are going to be playing with these, uh, you know, limited set of cards, and they're going to be playing. I actually haven't sleeved my cards yet. Oh no! <laughs> this whole it hurts time. my soul. I, oh, I swear, no. I sleep games. I just I buy it the first. I don't even haven't even played it yet. I'm like must leave, protect everything. <laughs> but I'm I'm a little. Uh... Stephen, they they they've never even they've never even touched <laughs> the air. They they haven't had a breath. They're straight out of the printer and straight into yes. a sleeve. They haven't no. even lived their lives yet. Straight into their protective coating, <laughs> um, but but I, I <laughs> this is just just this is just like that's Toy Story exactly right. <laughs> Toy Story two all over again. Oh, okay. So um, so what else do we got, Stephen? So in late July, right after the release of Midnight Sun, 
we chatted with the winner of the Ashes to Ashes tournament, Mike, and discussed his decks, you know, the choices he made leading up to the tournament, and then kind of maybe got some insights from him on what we think Midnight Sun will be like. And keep in mind, it was from right after the release of the set, so we've already had a little bit more innovation and changes happening since then. And here's his interview. All right, Nathan. Well, today we're joined by a special guest, the winner of the Ashes to Ashes tournament, ASQW, ASQW, Mike in the real world. Hello. Do you want to give yourself a little introduction? Sure. So I've been playing very casually ever since Netrunner came out. Very much kitchen table Netrunner. Like I only really owned the first core set. I got a bunch of copies of the first core set and was like making balanced dual decks. When Midnight Sun, the booster came out, I started playing more on JNet. I definitely played a decent amount of startup before that, just online. And then when the booster came out, I played a lot. And it really gave me a chance to sort of uh, refine my decks and see what the meta was kind of like. That's fantastic. That's really cool. And how did you uh, come to the choices of your your decks you were playing? Yeah. So I always loved uh, PE. Always. Uh, I played online sometimes with like the revised core. Um, Jinteki had a mode where people would play like either with a single core set or uh, only the core set cards. And in both instances, revised core and normal core, uh, the runner was pretty rich compared to what you could come up with as Jinteki. I was trying to um, make that same kind of deck in Startup, and I found it actually worked pretty well. People really weren't anticipating you rushing with Jinteki. They were a little scared of traps and such. You can kind of threaten the score out, and then if they weren't careful, you could kill them. Meanwhile, for Kit, uh, she's just really fun. I hate searching for my breakers, so it's great just being able to plop down a Gordian Blade and just run. I'm also a very aggressive runner. Part of the reason don't play standard is because it really helps if you know what cards you'll run into, what the threats are, and you need that in order to run aggressively. If you don't have any knowledge and you run aggressively, you'll just die a lot. So one of the advantages to startup is you have the, the burden of knowledge is a lot smaller. Yeah. Like, I was able to know the card pool pretty well and be pretty confident that if I ran, even without a breaker, I wouldn't hit anything too scary. So that is a a very interesting and correct conclusion, is that uh, a lot of players early on don't run as aggressively. And then they, like, it requires generally, like, someone to specifically tell them, like, hey, now that you generally know the cards, why aren't you running right now? And they're like, because I'm probably going to die. And you're like, well, you have to think about it more specifically. Like, what are you going to die to? The answer is actually nothing, because these are the threats, and you and you know you're safe against them right now. Especially since it uh, also really hurts the corp, because they can't play their Hutch Fund anymore, because they read the ice that kicked yeah, you out. Yeah, totally. Um, so, so did you come to that conclusion, like, on your own, just from playing lots of just, like, really just casual net running, just kind of like, oh, okay, cool, like, I kind of learned that I can sort of abuse the corp if I kind of run aggressively... Yeah, it just kind of happened organically. Before that, I played a lot of uh, Mayfly Steve, just for fun. That's kind of a janky <laughs> yeah. deck, where my only icebreaker was Mayfly. I would recur it with Steve, and I only had so many runs to make. And it really taught me the importance of uh, timing, run windows, and like uh, multi-axis. Wow, that is really... Have you ever... I don't think I've ever seen anybody put together like basically like dueling decks that are designed to like teach people certain types of lessons. But I do remember 
um, establishing rules for yourself like that back when I played StarCraft, like when you're playing a Zerg, don't attack your opponent unless you have creep at their base, and it basically forces you to not play as aggressively, and it kind of gets you out of one type of play style and like, oh, teaches really cool. you this like, fundamental like other set of lessons that you are generally obfuscated by standard play of the game. Um, I don't think I've ever seen anybody do that. We should make that, Steve. That's, that's really neat. That'd be a fun yeah, concept. That's absolutely yeah. cool. So you had really cool decks. You kind of had... How did you feel about going into the tournament? I was really scared of uh, big glacier decks. That's what my kit kind of struggles with most. Because once you get like four plus ice on a single server, I can't really get in. It's quite hard for me. I get maybe one run tops. And that's using all my tricks. Uh, I can normally deal with a single skunk works okay, but um, that plus avoid really just keeps me out. And so... I was pretty concerned about that, but I was hoping that with the release of uh, Light the Fire, that it would sort of scare those decks away. And that kind of worked, because I only faced one of them. Yeah, that totally that totally happened. <laughs> Light the Fire scared them all away. That did happen, yeah. Meanwhile, um, as a core, it was really um, Hoshiko Stargate was the one to watch out for. And I had enough play experience where I'm like, I'll, I'll see what I can do with it. And hopefully I can use my knowledge of the matchup to try and win. So let me ask, how much like practice did you put in uh, ahead of time? I didn't really put in the pra- like official practice, but I have been playing like a lot of startup because I had some free time. Wow. So I definitely had like a couple hundred games with various runners and corpse just like playing around. Definitely not running the most meta stuff, but I saw a lot of it on just the casual lobbies. So how much how much energy do you did you put in any extra energy after the Midnight Sun booster pack came out and you were like, okay, now that the booster pack is out, I wanna um, I really wanna understand this meta. Not until I got into the cut, and then I was actually oh. looking at people's decks and being like, wow, I actually made it to the cut. Uh, let me see like what my game plan is against these decks. Oh no, I don't mean I don't mean against um, looking at people's lists. I just meant like uh, just like playing casually before the tournament started uh, and trying to like predict the meta of what the tournament was going to be. Um, that just came through casual play. I just built the decks that I enjoyed playing, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to go for it and see what happens. Rock, I love it. That's awesome. That's the best. Well, uh, now, well, you won. Congratulations. Thank you. It was a blast. I did not expect to win. My goal was to make the cut, and wow. I was like, I was like, you did it with style. I was really surprised when I was like, this is a kit deck with only Gordian Blade and Palangi and no deep dive. And I was like, I, I don't even know what's going on right now. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah. I do feel like uh, I do feel like personal evolution was absolutely the right meta call, though. It was really helpful. Um, I sniped so many deep dives off with an yeah. enemy. And... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it. it was like, we were thinking about it and we were like, all these decks are trying to run like lots of operations, short-term value, win as fast as possible. And playing like a card anti-tempo deck is going to like, it is, ju- it just like, they, they like counter themselves when they play against it to some degree. Like it's super hard yeah. for them to, to exactly. win and, and not die. And so, uh, so do you think you got lucky or do you think you predicted that? Um, little bit of both. I think I did pretty well for my selection just cause from playing casually, I saw like, if you have a big, fat, slow Glacier deck, uh, Hoshiko will kill you, mm. like, straight up. There, There's really no That's way to true. stop her. And so I figured all the corpse were going to be fast, and uh, the runners would try and be fast in response, so PE is a good thing to play. And PE has enough damage where hopefully you can, like, uh, shell game out Hoshiko or rush her before she's all set up. 
Nice. That's awesome. Well, you got you called it right. I was super impressed. I, I actually about halfway yeah. through the tournament, I was like, I kind of get the feeling like PE is probably the best deck right now. I'm really sad we had to lock in because I would like to switch to PE now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, wrong deck. Um, during the tournament, I feel like during the cut, especially uh, when playing Super Stranger as Kit, I had to like make a Hail Mary. I knew there was a Bellona in the hand. So like I accessed three cards once, didn't see it, and then accessed two cards and got it. But his deck was really good at killing my breakers with the net damage. And so I pretty much had to break Gold Farmer by paying six every time. Oh. And the Oof. last time, if I didn't hit that Bellona, I'd been too broke to do anything else. And he would have scored out. I mean, if, even if you had a breaker, it would have cost you four. So uh, Yeah. So Nasty. Super Stranger was the, uh, the NEH with snares, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Snares and Erdikas. That that was cool. a cool and then I definitely got lucky versus uh, in the finals in terms of I was able to get the agendas in the top before he was able to set up. If his deck was set differently or um, I just got the wrong cards in HQ and didn't see those agendas, uh, I definitely don't think I would have been able to outlast his analytics. But like the first game, I ran R&D in bunch and killed any analytics that came up. And then the second game, there were a lot of agendas in his hand, so I was able to steal them before he could really get set up. I mean, you know, it's 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 card games, right? Is you know, um, you do need you you need both luck and skill at the end of the day in order to get there. I think, or you know, yeah, skill being definitely. skill being a meta call, I guess more more so than the playing, but the playing too. Yes, I think you did both. You you had uh, watching the replays as a judge. It was there were some great stags, but also you were making the right calls. And once there your opponent like revealed hey he iced hq he's got something at hand you were you were on it right yeah uh, a lot of times i definitely prefer running the ice server versus the unice just because they might have something and also it'll cost them money to keep me out oh sure yeah classic yeah that's great that's classic face check i love it well you know now that the new set's out let's transition to uh what are you excited to play? Maybe not what you think is going to be good first, but what, what decks are you looking forward to trying out the new meta? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, cool cards that came out, for sure. On the Corp side, the PE, I'm really excited about the new agendas, uh, the new assets. I am also really like the uh, Prov ability. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like you could definitely set up an interesting sort of shell game deck that way, where running any single installed advanced advanced remote becomes really really risky i like that and what do you think that there's that one new century that you can put advancement tokens down that seems like it'd be really good in prob or pe even yeah ashes had that with aket mm -hmm. and that actually has won some games where uh you just like have two aquets in a row and then you have an urtica at the end and they just run through both and they hit them with a four advanced urtica and now you can run aket plus your id Plus the century. Oh, wow. I didn't even think about combining those. That's so nasty. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Why don't I have Aket in my prov deck? That's... <laughs> That's. There you go. We're learning. We're learning just by asking good questions. Oh my goodness. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> so, uh, Mike, is there anything on the rudder side that's exciting you to give, a tr give it a try? Uh, I really want to try Sable. Her ability seems really interesting. The limitation of not being able to pick where you run. But, uh, the Shaper cards especially drew my eye. I swapped Gordian Blade for Hyperbaric in my kit deck. And Ooh. I'm currently playing around with that, seeing how that plays out. There's just something so appealing about the idea of like my 
Icebreaker is the strength for the rest of the game. And I don't need anything else. I'm just going to go. I was super into um, Study Guide Kit uh, back when that existed in like 2016. And Hyperbaric is just a reprint of Study Guide, basically. But I totally get it. Like, you're like, here's my one breaker. It's going to be super awesome. And then, you know, even if it gets destroyed, I mean, a lot of times the Corp has to invest so much in, in killing it that, uh, or at least at the time they did, it was like Grim was, was the only card that they could use to kill it. That, that usually it's fine to just recover it, especially if you have some kind of recurring credits to boost it back up. Yeah, I can see that. And then I'm not sure about Sabotage as a mechanic, but uh, we'll see how the deck plays out. It, I do really love the concept of like hitting yourself in the face to hurt the corp even more. Yeah, Asa is really interesting that way. There are so many cards that like you know benefit. Well, I guess Steel Skin is really the only one, but um, Steel Skin combos with so many other really good cards like Moshing too. So um, I think that's gonna be. I think that's gonna be. Yeah. A thing. I feel like you described it like like you're hitting yourself in the face, and I feel like. Uh, and I haven't, I haven't played it, but it feels like it's the cost isn't really that high to the runner. Although I guess it, it's you know, it's it's a core damage. I mean, that's that's pretty significant. It's always like easy to underappreciate the value of core damage until you're playing as the runner and you're like, I only have two cards in hand. I like, I can't plan my turns out anymore. Well, even just not being able to plan your turns out, you're like, oh, I really want to play this card, but first I'm going to do this. You take a core damage, you lose that card from your hand, and then you're like. Oh, I gotta draw again or something. <laughs> no. It's tragic. Well, that's cool. Uh, so what do you think... Um, okay, so we're super early in the meta, but here we go. Tell us, what are, your, what, are your, what are your thoughts on the next meta? What do you think is going to happen? What's going to be good? So in the previous meta, it was kind of a race between runners and corp because runners were so strong late game. The core had to go pretty fast. And the runners were, at least uh, like me and Super Strangers deck, we were trying to go even faster than them. And we had like no gas for the late game, just go as fast as possible, try and win early. Now, the Corp, uh, some of these identities and uh, assets and such, they have a chance to sort of contest money-wise. So we may see something where it kind of pulls in two directions. And this also applies to the ice side, where... I feel like a lot of decks are going to run either a lot of ice or very little ice. And they're also going to try and go either really fast or really slow. I don't think we're going to see too many mid-range decks that try and balance everything out. But it really depends on kind of where sort of the metal, meta settles. So you think uh, so you think Corpicon is stronger. So we're going to start seeing... It's going to open up the, the late game Corp decks and then it's going to create basically... Well, the late game core decks, I'm not sure if they're stronger versus uh, Hoshiko, but they are stronger maybe versus like Kit or if you're relying mostly on bolts to break. Those kind of decks, they are really good at getting past one or two layers of ice, but once you get three, four layers of ice on servers, they start really slowing down. They often run a lot of like event economy, so they don't have too much long-term econ. Yeah. Yeah, well, especially for the Midnight Sun meta, it was just like pure gas because more gas, faster deep dives. Deep dives are cheaper if there's fewer ice. So the sooner you play them, the better. Yeah. Um, so what about, uh, so I, there also been a couple more like tricks too. So we've got like uh, Drago, I think is his name. Um, and I've seen people doing things where they like uh, Vladisibirsk out, uh, 
put a uh, use him to put a tag on the runner and then like retribution a rig snipe or something like that so we've got that plus like other kill decks as well do you think uh do you think we're gonna see more of that type of thing do you think it's gonna like take over more of the meta um i don't think rig shooter is going to be that good just because people are gonna recur programs simul chip and smc still exist but uh, I think Kill is still going to be pretty strong, especially out of NBN and PE. They have gotten more tools to kind of advance things faster. And so, especially with PE, like a Blood in the Water is sort of like a Neuro EMP that you can kind of just play and do that damage if they're low enough. So I think the runner definitely has to be careful in the Midnight Sun environment. The corpse are richer, so Punitive can hurt too. That's very true. I... Uh... Game net maybe putative with big deal or something like that. So you have alternate wins. Yeah, I, th I think big deal is a pretty pretty interesting sort of backup plan for like punitive decks. You could score out like Bologna or something like that um, and get the get the agenda win condition as a backup. And it definitely pushes the runner late game to kind of have to run through taxing ice a lot more often because now you can score out of hand. Oh, that's neat. That's a good point. So they have to keep checking or having tricks to get through then those will run out so it's gonna be interesting meta i don't think it's gonna be solved for a while a lot of stuff seems really fun to play around with even if it may not be the strongest so i'm excited fun stuff and uh i'm looking forward to seeing what decks you come up with so make sure you publish a few of them i'm looking forward to seeing what your what your thoughts are <laughs> <laughs> awesome all right well thanks so much for joining us mike yeah thanks mike thank you have a good one. All right. Thanks so much to Mike for doing that interview with us. It was really awesome. And we've never done anything like that on this show before. So uh, so being the first, uh, we really appreciate his time and energy in joining us there. Yeah, yeah. We're going to try, hopefully, to have more shorter interviews and not just a whole episode with a guest. That way we could kind of discuss, you know, more things in a month. <laughs> Speaking of discussing more things... I think it's time we discuss the entire Midnight Sunset. We're a little late, but, um, well, we didn't get a chance to before, uh, so I think the time has come. <laughs> Our time has come. <laughs> Our time has come. Uh, yeah, it's kind of weird talking about these after the fact, but we can utilize some of the information we've gained since then. So, so let's start with the runners first, and I guess let's just start with Anarch. So what are your thoughts on the whole Midnight Sun Anarch package there, Steven? It's certainly based all around core damage, right? Nearly every card, other than the twitting, kind of I feel like has is sort of themed around that. True. So we've got the Ised, we've got the Ised X. Yes, and then we also have Augustina, if I hopefully said her name right. Where? Yeah, that's right. And that's very splashable. So you could run that in other, not only other Anarch builds that aren't all in on sabotage, but you also could, in theory, export into like Shaper and and play like a virus spam where that's helping you chip away at their decks a little bit i like it i feel like just like noise from the original core set there are people that will sit back and just try to sabotage you and not be really actively contesting right mm. and i feel like those decks are a little not npe but you're really giving the the corp a lot of windows to do things. Like I think I, I watched you play that one game with PE where you just had ten servers. They didn't run a single one, and then you just won because they core damaged themselves too much. <laughs> yeah. 
But I do think there is an Asa deck that you could have like light the fires. You could kind of camp the remote uh, or just be actively clearing things while you're still sabotaging and doing your game plan. Sure. Let's talk a little bit about sabotage. That's a super interesting mechanic. I know that <clears throat> that we're like I think I, I think the idea of trying to like bring back like the sort of like noise like mechanics is very interesting, and it fits in this anarch color pie idea of I want to call it like a mechanical uh, agnosticness. Hmm. I, I, maybe I'll, maybe that's a term I'll make up. Uh, and the idea is is that they're like, look, I don't. I don't care what you're doing because I'm an anarch. And the milling is a way of uh, expressing that mechanically, which is really interesting. So the idea is, is that anarchs are like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be disruptive in kind of my own unique way. So that's kind of interesting. Now, sabotage is kind of like a reworking of the noise mechanic, although it is technically better for the court because they can choose the cards that they're going to discard. Now, one thing I actually want to point out that's really very interesting is traditionally in games, milling does not affect the player's tempo um, in any way because a card that's on your deck is not a card that you you have paid for in any way. Cards that you've drawn into your hands are cards that you have paid for. You paid your, like, you know, corp click to, uh, to draw that card. And um, so really with Sabotage, the corp is actually choosing... An unknown card or a known card plus a, a tempo loss of that card from hand. And uh, and that's a super cool innovation. And I think the idea behind it was they wanted to give the ability to maybe get away with a higher volume of milling, which was a very interesting choice. Because I think fundamentally, the issue with milling is, is that there's basically this sweet spot where... If the game allows milling up to a certain number of cards, then milling feels strong but not overpowered. And then there's a certain point where it start. It's like it basically gets better the more you do it. So if I mill 15 cards out of my opponent's deck, that's good. If I mill 22 cards out of my opponent's deck, each additional card that I mill is going to be a higher likelihood of winning me the game or have already won me the game, basically. Okay. And so, like, the idea is, is that when you've had 25 cards of your deck milled, suddenly now that 26th card is twice as valuable as that original card. And so, like, milling gets stronger over time. And, and so I think the strength of Sabotage in general... Um, ignoring the whole like just you know Augustina in a in a virus deck, I'm gonna take a free a bunch of free accesses, you know maybe seven seven to ten free accesses from installing my viruses over the course of the game. But the actual like dedicated mill strategy is gonna really be based on how many mills can they get out and how quickly can they do it. Um, because when you start getting up to like twenty two plus cards or even like 20 plus cards that's that's two-fifths of the corpse deck i mean that's twice as many cards as they have agendas and and so if we see the mills start getting into those types of numbers then it's gonna it's it's probably gonna be a bit of a concern i'm a little bit concerned to that especially with with the new wanton destruction card what, what's the name called is it uh chastushka Chast uh yeah uh, oh it's it's chastushka yes correct yeah and, and it yeah, that's Sabotage 4. 
So if you um, if you can recur that card, I mean, that's already 12 cards on its own. If you can get all three of the runs off, plus any additional mills that you're going to get. Um, this is kind of crazy. I feel like that kind of over uh, overwhelms the... I think their idea of making um, Issa kind of the the id for sabotage and basing the mill effect from her off of something like core damage which is actually a pretty limited resource i think that was a really good idea yeah i am i am worried that chastushka is going to kind of overwhelm it so i guess we'll see what are your thoughts i actually i think when we got a peek at some of the early spoils spoilers because we were given some communal spoilers to kind of inform our spoilers we got for the hb cards when we both saw this event i think your immediate reaction was this will probably be degenerate if you know like you could figure out a steve deck that could recur a ton or they just add this on top of isa's sabotage you know there might be a ghost tongue version of her where of sorry z where you can just really sabotage them a ton you have the cheap chastushka You've got Zier's ability going off turn after turn where they are uh, doing core damage themselves. Marrow also was a really neat card, like a, a core damage card that also increases your head size is really uh, like a cool way to... Super cool. Yeah, to help that whole mechanic. And also it does a little sabotaging on its own too. So it, you can really build a really... Uh, all-around sabotage deck, I think. It'd still be actively running, like with Light the Fire and things like that. Yeah, my observations is that been, Marrow has been quite a liability. Um, I've had a number of effects where I've been able to like uninstall it, and then the, um, they have to reinstall it, and then it takes another core damage, which is less than ideal. I mean, you want to use them. That's a running hot that you can't, you know that it's going to be harder to play mm. later on because you because you've got some core damage that you have to take from replaying marrow or whatever um so that's the thing so so sabotage is is i think it's a really cool design decision um it's going to be really interesting to see just just basically the volume and this was the same this was the same with noise he was basically he wasn't a problem and then they printed cash and then the number went up from like 15 mils a game to like 24 because you were recurring them with clone chips, yeah. So it's really just based on the volume. Do you want to? Do you have anything else to add with the um, the Anarch cards, or do you want to move on to Criminal Dow? So uh, two two other things okay. that I wanted to mention with Anarch is the first one is the twinning. Um, yes, the twinning is, is huge. turning out to be really really good, mm -hmm. um, and it looked like it was going to be really good from the moment we saw it, and people are playing with it now, and I like the idea that it requires some kind of like card-based econ generation, which is like kind of cool. But on the other hand, like some decks were already just running a ton of that anyway. Hoshiko. And so, <laughs> uh, so Hoshiko is. Um, and so it's just like, do you want to play a deck with just a ton of multi-access, which is the one thing you are lacking? Great. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Have a nice day. <laughs> yes. Slots right in. Uh, so the twinning is uh, the twinning is super exciting. Yeah. Uh, I, it's also really exciting out of faction. I've basically been playing it in criminal, um, and it's been really exciting. So I think that is one of the things that runners were lacking was strong multi-access, at least in startup. And so it's a really cool, interesting addition uh, that 
I think is really like when you're playing in the limited startup format, um, you don't have a lot of tools for, you know, you've got Docklands Pass, you've got Maker's Eye, and then you've got like Stargate and Conduit, which are uh, Conduit's played a lot less, especially now. And so it's cool to see kind of some new tools is definitely going to change the econ of the game in a significant way. Oh, yeah. So the last one is Steel Sin Scarring, which obviously we're seeing in a lot of ESA decks. But uh, we're, I, I'm seeing it in every deck. I'm seeing it mm-hmm. in Shaper decks. I'm seeing it in Criminal decks. Um, it's a really powerful tool to counter like double punitive. It's also a card draw tool. It's it's really good in Anarch. I mean, it's just straight up. It triggers off of any trash. So it triggers off of uh, another card we see a lot, Engram Flush. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, see- I'm seeing people like run Engram Flushes with two cards pop a steel skin and then hit a snare and they're like, ah, ain't no thing. And then that hits another steel skin and they're like, ah, thank you for drawing my cards. <laughs> well, you know, and there are other effects like Boshing that was already from in the Ashes set that suddenly looks a lot better when you could just draw five cards and get three credits off of, you know. Yeah, and Moshing was already, like in my opinion, like a borderline really good card, yeah. so... Uh, yeah, it's it's amazing, and you can recur it with buffer drive. Yes, that's which is yeah. like hilarious. I mean, I know it puts it on the bottom of your deck, but so you need some shuffle effects. But yeah, uh, that's pretty exciting. So steel skins, steel skins, really good. Yeah, uh, it's gonna be a game changer. All right, so criminals, what do we got? Have you played any criminal at all? You know, I actually played a lot of criminal. Uh, I had a Zaya deck that I released, uh, published right with the twinning and I was trying to make it work with virtuoso, but I've come around to petty shaver. So I really had a lot of fun. Uh, Jezva is fantastic. Really. I think there's going to be a lot of different criminal decks that are enabled by it. You know, you have Bogalter right now, you know, do you want to break for free and make money? You know, get two Jezvas out. You're good to go. You also could do like a cool as masterwork build where suddenly you're just, you run a central server and you play your uh, your hardware for free and suddenly you're drawing cards with masterwork and things like that. So I think... So you, you can use Jezva to power your prognostic Q loop. Exactly. You could fund anything and, you know, it could go give you power counters of the twinning. So that's what I was trying to do with my uh, criminal deck with it. So there's a deck out there where the idea is, is you basically combine Jezva and Mantle or um, maybe even Paladin Poemu to basically try to trigger the twinning on the corpse turn through an install of some kind. Because you can use the Mantle credit to pay for the Q-loop. Yep. And the idea is, is that you're playing a criminal deck where you're getting twinning counters, two twinning counters per like your own turn. Uh, which seems like really good, especially if you could do something like that in Zaya, but even in As. Oh yeah, and uh, another thing is uh, pinhole threading which we sort of got early in the spoiler season is really great to just pack just to deal with things like precision design they make arms works isn't going to do a lot if it's trash when you read archives yeah i think pinhole threading is going to be pretty meta defining once the meta has settled down a little bit uh, and maybe that means people aren't playing it, but it's something that they always can. So the corps have to be really thoughtful oh, yeah. about what kind of defensive upgrades they can they can account for. Uh, I mean, you can even do things like can you like 
can you use Virtuoso to like pinhole threading archives and then like trash like a Hokusai grid there and then breach HQ and avoid the damage? Or would, would the Hokusai trigger on the HQ run? Yeah, it's only successful, I think, Bruds. But oh, I see. But there are some things where you know you can pinhole threading, you know, a remote. I think it's good. You know, you could if you're doing deep dive, you could pinhole threading the, another central that had a Crecium grid on it to then free up that run that you're going to take there. That would be another move you could do. Sure. Um, and I've seen a lot of people play Carpe Diem, which is pretty, uh, pretty interesting. It's not a card that I was really super excited about, but. I see I see a lot of people using it. It's just like, it's an easy mark plus a run event. So Ken's running it. He loves it. Oh, yeah. And uh, Sable is uh, definitely a fan, you know, where she uh, already might have the mark picked out. So you, if you're planning on running that remote anyway, especially because you wanted to trigger, uh, you know, Swift if you're on it, get the six-click turn, uh, which is pretty wild. It, Almost, uh, we should maybe have a decide about deep dive and how right. she's probably the best deep diver we've got. That's true. So Sable, Sable is the deep diving criminal. I haven't seen anybody play that, but like I expect that to become a thing oh, yeah. here. And actually, that was featured on a Metropole Grid video. Andre specifically made a nice. startup deck, which I will link in the show notes. That uh, I think you could use it as a, a start of a you know your deck if you really want to i keep making the deep dive joke but if you want to take a deep dive at sable there's a great deep dive deck <laughs> it's deep the, that that joke's deeply ingrained yes i can't stop um okay so there's two other cards i wanted to mention for criminal that are really important they're both actually counter cards no free lunch is the only card in the game right now i think they can remove a tag on the corpse turn is that true i think that's correct because uh, uh flip switch only works on the runner's turn Right, so um, I feel like I feel like this is gonna be a big card. I don't really know how deeply people are gonna go for Drago decks, but I feel like rig shooting, rig shooting endurance, is going to become a thing, and then no free lunch is gonna be the way to counter that. Yeah. Um, to protect to protect your boat. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit more about the boat in just a minute. Uh, and then the other one is Pan Weave. Nobody is playing this. I love Panweave as a card, but also Panweave is like straight up dunking my Jinteki personal evolution decks because they really rely on that very specific four credit amount um, to enable both Snare and also um, Bladderwort. And so Panweave exists as a counter to that deck archetype already. And a couple of people are playing with it, and it's always really scary for me to see. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, your first PE deck, I just happened to have a deck that had a criminal deck with Panweave, Seal Skin in it. So, and did I also have Buffer Driver, I think? So it was just like, I'm sorry, I've made this deck. It's going to counter you right away. It's going to destroy <laughs> PE. Because I, I was trying to destroy Pravdivost, but then I accidentally destroyed Vinteki. Yeah. Whoops. Yeah. Sorry about that. Well, I think also Panweave is a really good card against just, like, I'm seeing a lot of, like, more horizontal decks, especially with Pravdivost it being experimented with by a lot of people. And Panweave is just really good against horizontal decks because one of their one of their protections for HQ is to just install their cards. 
And then you have to go run the remote to access the card as opposed to running HQ. And so like NEH, you don't end up making a lot of HQ runs because they install their cards into their remotes. And Panweave basically gives you an additional reward for running HQ, which you need against a deck like that. I think it's also kind of like a low-key anti-horizontal tool. Interesting, yeah. And I think that especially against PE that I've witnessed it on the receiving end and the as the rudder against you. The weaving end, the pan weaving. The pan weaving end, yeah. Been panned. Yeah. Uh, one thing, I actually think if Cat's Cradle is fantastic, just as a... Yeah. Yeah, if you don't have the influence for an out-of-action card and you have lots of money... It's a fine breaker, and it punishes them for running code gates. So, what's the not to love? Yeah, I'm, I like that they're leaning a little bit more into the credit denial element of criminal. That's always really fun. It's also a little dangerous, uh, as you know we've seen in the past in some standard decks. It can be a little bit, it can get a little bit out of hand, uh, and that's a problem. But uh, I do like it existing in the game in a little bit. I think it makes a lot of actions feel a lot more meaningful, which is a lot of fun for me at least. I, I guess one thing I want to add is I think there's sort of the mark mechanic outside of Sable, and then there's the mark mechanic with Sable. If you're running a Sable deck that's probably a deep dive deck, you know, getting that extra click is massive. And some of the other mark effects, like if you're just running like Carpe Diem in, in like Ken, for example, and you don't have any other mark effects, it's more just like, hey, I needed another run of it. You know, that's more where you're building that way. I, I don't think, like, I as someone who's tried Virtuoso outside of Sable, I really wanted to make it work with the twinning. I liked it a lot. I, I don't know if those extra HQ breaches just didn't seem really, they were good to just put pressure on them, but if they already are hiding their agendas in a remote because you're just slamming central servers, it did those breaches weren't as good. But maybe I need to run things like Imp where I could, hey, I breached HQ, I saw your seamless launch i'm just gonna imp it away so that would add even more pressure to force them to ice up centrals but i don't know i think um forcing the corp to ice archives is always kind of been a really kind of fundamental interesting balance point of mm. netrunner because yeah. it's the game is geared towards protecting three servers and so you protect your rndhq and your remote and the corp can kind of afford that and adding in that extra server it's always it's always like the corpse like, I know I should ice archives for dirty laundry, but like, is it worth it? You know, like, I don't have enough ice for this. Yeah. And so archives has always kind of been that wild, like, it's it's like, how much does each player want to invest in it? And the runner's like, well, I don't want you to know how many cards I have that rely on archives. Uh, and the corpse like, I don't really know if it's worth my energy to ice archives. Um, and now that we've got like Jezva, it makes it even more you know heart you're like well if i'm gonna throw one ice on archives like is it's gonna be free anyway so why do i care uh and virtuoso just adds more threat there but i think it's gonna be more of like a it's gonna be more of like a pressure tool yeah. i guess it's not it's not about lots of runs it's about the runs i do get i'm gonna get extra value for yeah, that's a good point and uh you know when we talk about Jinteki soon, someone really might be caring about archives in a different way too. So that that was fun. <laughs> that's that's true. That's true. We've got um all right, so that that'll be soon enough. Okay. So shapers. Time to talk about shaper, Steven. So let's talk about the boat. The boat is the goat, right? It's... Everyone the boat is the goat. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you feel about the boat so far? Uh 
it's interesting. I I think it's a great card. You said something, so I'll I'll steal your thunder here, but you said like an eight cost card should be impactful. And it certainly feels like this is an impactful expensive card. You know, you can install it if you could you could hedge fund install it, run, and now you can break into any remote probably with this protected by two ice. Now run R D and get in. So once you get that ball rolling, once you get those power tokens for every the first successful run, it's it's hard to stop the boat unless you destroy it. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of responses. I think the thing that that really clicked in my brain only after playing it a couple times is that the boat is kind of like a soft counter to horizontal decks as well. Mm. Because you get a counter even when you run any server, you get a counter. So if you're just making one run every turn, especially for as cheap as possible, and especially not spending your counters, like that's ideal for the boat. So the boat's going to, I'm just going to run, I'm going to run a couple remotes every turn or one every turn, whatever you con up. Um, and then eventually it's time to run centrals. I've got 10 counters on my boat that I haven't been using because I've just been running pad campaigns and bladder warps and snares and agendas and all this stuff. Um, and so I can get into any central server I want. If you're playing a deck that like only has three servers and they're all iced, the the way the boat is played is going to be different. You know, you're going to have to build up a rig to support the boat, which is going to be even more expensive and it's still going to be good. But I guess the thing that I realized was that I like if I'm playing against a horizontal deck, I only need the boat. I don't need anything else. Interesting. And I I don't want to like predict something here, but it's. For for Parhelion with startup, but when Rizeki's gone, I feel like that extra two MU. I'm intrigued to see what replaces Rizeki in those utility slots you get, because you know once you can get two Rizekis and the boat out, you feel really good. You're making money, and you can almost get into anything with maybe only one icebreaker. Um, yeah, chisels. That's what I'm predicting. Interesting. Okay. Well. I, I tried it and it wasn't very good, oh. but that was just my first iteration. <laughs> you no, know, I think it's a cool idea. Should we talk about the new power token breakers and then also talk about the captain herself? All right, let's talk about the cat. I don't care about the breakers, but okay. the cat is a big deal. So um, is it Captain uh, Padma Isbister? Isbister. Okay. Wait, did you say did you did you did you say the cap? As in Captain? Yes. I mean... Okay, I I, I, I was talking about Dag. Oh, you're talking about Dag. Okay. Dag the cat. Oh, the, the, the cap versus the cat. Um, I yeah. get you. Actually, I want to talk about the cat before I talk about... All right, all right. Talk about, let's talk about the cat. Um, all right, so Dag first net cat. Amazing card. So I put him in there because I was doing a, a hyperbaric kit deck, which is turning out to be amazing, by the way. Hyperbaric kit with the boat. Um, everything you could possibly want in a deck. Um, and so you put Dag in. If you're going to put Dag in, you're going to be messing with power counters. You might as well throw in Earthrise. Dag with Earthrise is incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, when you basically say, if you score an agenda, I get two additional card draw. Like, it's totally bonkers. Every time I steal an agenda, I get an extra card draw. Or, um, two extra card draw. Like, it's just gas on top of your... Either if you're winning already because you're, you're stealing agendas, you're getting gas, it's amazing, it's a refund for what you spent. Or if you're behind, you installed the boat, now you're low on cash. Um, the corp decides they're going to take their window score and agenda, boom, two additional card draw for you. 
uh, because Dig puts a power counter on Earthrise Hotel, which I don't understand how that works thematically, but it's super good. I'm I'm really impressed by Dig. He's he's super good. Well, I I also think that it's interesting. Like uh, I've generally felt that most people are down on the cat, but I think outside of uh, Padma, actually Dig would be fantastic with a like in kit. So I, I see what you mean. Where in a nod cat, you know. Uh, Padma deck, Dig is gonna do more work than just running RD and getting your token that way. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I decided I tried a Padma deck. It was kind of, it was fine. But I tried a Kit deck because I was like, yeah, Hyperbaric Study Guide, my favorite card in the game, is finally guide. back yeah. on board. I gotta try it again. So you, I did the whole package, rigging up Hyperbaric. Dag, first net cat, Earthrise Hotel, the boat. Um, that's the plan. Maybe throw in an extra breaker, all the Rezekis you want. And I put some career fairs in as well. And it was it was really solid. Um, I, I, I've been really, really liking it. Um, I really like rigging up. It helps with that cost of the endurance. I really like rigging up with um, Hyperbaric because dropping your Hyperbaric at two power counters already is super good. Um... Also, it doesn't make you insanely powerful right off the bat. Although, if you have the boat, it makes you insanely yeah, powerful. True. Because now, if you run your kit, your hyperbarics kind of low. Um, they res a gigantic tier or something on you. You can use the boat to get out of jail free. Um, so, I'm I'm really I'm really pleased with how that kind of deck archetype is turning out. Um, and it felt way more successful than Padma because I was able to be more aggressive because I'm kit, you know, I don't have to be afraid. Interesting. And, and you know, I was the, just to throw the counterplay to the boat, I kind of feel like there's three strategies that it's the boat existing and pinhole threading existing has kind of shifted the meta where corpse have to either score faster than the boat could win. You have to have a specific almost like a silver bullet for the boat. Either you're destroying it with retribution or you're neutralizing it with like a card like next activation command or the Tr- uh-huh. Trieste Bioroid yeah. card. And the final one is uh, the third way is just econ warfare where, you know, maybe you have crypto crash or you've lots of must trash cards like assets that they have to, you know, they've got the boat, but then they have to go still run here, still spend a lot of money to deal with these things. Yeah, it is kind of interesting. Uh, you did play a Crypto Crash deck against me where I was playing the boat. And it, it's like this really fine line where if I install the boat, now your Crypto Crash is something you don't want to score. Yeah, that's true. Uh, because I have no money to lose. I just blew it all. But then on the other hand, if I haven't played the boat and I delay like one turn, then and you score a Crypto Crash, it's just crippling. I'm never getting the boat out now. That's because right. I just lost a boat worth of cash. <laughs> it's literally the icebreaker. Your icebreaking icebreaker. If you can force the runner to lose eight credits, that is now officially a boatload. It's boatload. That's now. that's that's the that's the official amount. So if you get a quadra advanced reversed accounts, that's two boatloads. Um, I don't know why a runner is floating sixteen credits. Probably because their Rizekis were going off the chain. Great. Anything else we want to talk about for for the shapers still? You know, I think it's just worth mentioning that Deep Dive is a fantastic card. I have lost turn one against uh, or turn two against a Ken deck now. <laughs> Uh, no, you beat me. You beat me that game. I, I got the deep dive turn one, but then I still lost. Well, no, I played against someone else that literally just won turn two. They stole oh a, stole gosh. an agenda off uh, 
HQ stole an agenda off R&D, ran archives, deep dive, scored two. And I was just like, well, it was a good game. <laughs> Thanks for playing. Oh my, oh my gosh. That happened to me in the tournament. It was amazing. Yeah. It, it feels good when it happens. It, <laughs> and, it, and when it happens to you as the core player, you're just like, well, I just, how do I deal with that? But it's still a very great pressure card. It is rewarding some, like a Ked deck with uh, Jezva. You know, you could just win off of Centrals. You could, you could find your, your agendas you need that way. Deep Dive's a good card. Yeah. So, let's go to the Corp side. What do you think, uh, Nathan, about HB? Uh, I haven't played with HB at all. The people I've seen who have been experimenting with it, well, I've seen people experimenting with Wave, Mm -hmm. specifically. Wave seems really good. Being able to basically tutor out an ice seems really, really good. I think that's probably going to be one of the more powerful kind of card effects that we see especially as as we figure out the game a little bit more especially in like the ob id Mm. uh because it gives you it gives you a target and it gives you well i mean it just adds so much deck consistency i guess is the idea so i'm pretty excited about wave and i did want to talk a little bit about oh so actually no okay so yeah we've seen wave we've got the hakarl triest model bioroids kind of combo i haven't seen anybody play that yet it's a little bit scary and then we've got Big Deal. So uh, probably everyone's talked about this card, right? They, I mean, they did the best spoiler of this. Yes, that was fantastic. Uh, they just like drew it out over like days. And they were like, here's a 17 cost card. You're like, what? <laughs> 17 cost? It's unbelievable. <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny. And then they're like, oh. remove from Gabe. You're like, okay, there's a trash cost on this thing? What is going on? Oh gosh and then uh and then i i gotta say like i was i was so into it and then when they showed me the card text i was like wow that is not good that is not what i expected a 17 cost terminal trashable operation to do i expected something that like said printed it just literally had the printed text win the game not just advance a card four times especially not for a terminal but i started thinking about like some of the effects of what you can do with big deal and I'm, I'm pretty into it. It seems pretty cool. So you can score a 5-3 from hand, yeah. which is legit. I think just decks where you're just like, I'm going to out-econ the runner, now have something to actually do with that money, whereas before they did not. So I think, I don't know if I mentioned, I might have mentioned this in a, a previous episode. So like money, money does different things for corpse and runners. Runners use money to uh obviously make runs and they also use it to deny the corp ability to do things so they pay trash costs of cards they also use it to install their own cards the corp actually uses their money to influence the pace of the game if the corp can get money faster they can win the game faster which is always good for them because the runner has had less time to set up and so i felt like the idea of a corp having a bunch of money is is not it's not like giving them this this fundamental ability that they didn't already have, which is I have the ability to use money to win the game or at least win the game more easily. They could already do that by winning the game faster. However, that's not always possible in every type of deck. And so this kind of does unlock a new variant of what can the corp do with money before they could use it to win the game faster. Now they can, let's say they couldn't win the game quickly and the runner got set up. How are they going to win now? Well, now they can use their big money to still score out in the late game. And I think that's pretty cool. You know, 
my hot take on Big Deal is that as it stands right now, Big Deal is not really good in HB, but is way better at other corps that could make money, like NBN and Wayland probably. What are they going to do with it? Well, they're probably just going to hopefully <laughs> win the game. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, use their Big Deal to combo out like an agenda. Uh, one of the, the decks that I saw early on, and I don't know if this is still viable, was a game net deck that was either trying to putative you or use the amount of money it's gaining to just win with big deal. So it kind of just, if the putative nice. game plan didn't work, it had a backup way to just to spend money to win. Okay, that's uh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you, you, you're basically saying this is going to be a money war and I'm going to use it to kill you with punitive if you run. And if you don't run, I'm going to use it to score a big deal yeah. and score agendas. Um, and you've got Bologna Infection, so you get that little refund there, um, as well as uh, you've got uh, Crypto Crash to, you know, like, um, you have an extra click, you can score out a Crypto yeah. Crash, deny them seven credits, um, and then make Punitive even better. The the other thing, actually, I think the most impactful card that HP got in the set, and there could be a really cool Architects of Tomorrow Bioroid deck, I just haven't seen it yet. But with, with the Trieste model Bioroids where they can only click through the ice instead of using any of their rudder effects to, to deal with it. Um, mm-hmm. I think in standard, it's a whole different ballgame because their Loki doesn't have the way to click through it. So Loki just becomes unbreakable with Trieste. Uh, but that's it's beyond our scope. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's like the card is balanced completely differently in startup versus standard. <laughs> but... Uh, is actually the two one the uh, bifurcation agenda? I I've, yeah I read a fast advance mirror morph deck that just had this three copies of it in there, and it's it's pretty good. Just being able to score an agenda out without any tricks, you know, I'll take it. Just so it's like you're in faction hostile takeover, and you actually have fast advance in faction as well. Exactly. And Did, now, didn't a Wayland ID get banned for being too good at fast advance? It was uh, it was t- Titan. Yes, that that was it. Yeah, Titan got banned because they were using the Atlas, the free counters, and they were just too good as a fast advance deck with hostile plus Atlas plus um. We, we should explain, too, for people that might be newer, that it was a Wayland ID that said when you score an agenda, it gets a power, ca- uh, sorry, an agenda counter on it. Yep, that's right. So instead of you having to over-advance an Atlas, it just came with, it just got an agenda token on it and could tutor at, you know, paid ability speed any card from your, your RD. So it became almost like a Atlas train. You know, you'd find an Atlas to find the next. An, an Astro train for Wayland. <laughs> yes. So, so is I guess the concern here? Uh, HP has a lot of fast advanced tools already in faction now. Now they have a two one, and so that's what you were going for. Did it feel like it was strong? It was just another another trick. That deck was running Moonpool, Bass, Cherry Boga, Biotic, oh, and had a two right. one. So, so Moonpool is a fast advanced tool, but it requires you to rem- it requires you to burn a agen- it requires you to have agendas in hand. Exactly. And so Elvagar bifurcation is good because it's another agenda that you can use to uh, to do that. And ultimately just win at the end of the game if you're at six points. Right. That's very... Okay, That's I think that works really well with Moonpool. That's a good choice. But you do... Uh, what I've discovered is if you want to 
fast advance with moon pool, you need like a critical mass of agendas. So we're talking like 13 or more or 12 or more agendas in your deck to really, you want to overdraw, you want to be using spin doctor aggressively. You just need to find agendas to keep scoring your other agendas out. How could you possibly justify, how could you possibly win with 13 agendas in your deck? I've done it. And this one, it doesn't even give you seven credits like Hostel. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It, you just have other assets getting you money. And then you're just like, hey, I'm going to go ahead and just keep scoring. Technically, you can, um, you, you do gain, is it nine credits, six credits if you derez a Nico campaign? It, it, that is true. But I just feel like that just an invitation to get your Nico campaign trashed, especially with pit hole threading. Like they're going to, you might have reset this agenda Sorry, the asset, but it's going to die. I mean, yeah, it doesn't seem as good yeah. as Hostile, but, you know, uh, I guess. I mean, also, you derez your, your uh, spin Exactly. That, that's actually the main use for it. If you don't trash a spin doctor and you score the bifurcation, it feels really good. You get a draw two for free. It's, you know, paid ability speed, so it's fantastic. Yeah, that's great. Okay, great. Anything else about HB you want to mention? Um, I just, I really, I want a mean Bioroid deck. Someone's gonna come up with it, and it's gonna be it's gonna be scary what it does when they figure it out. All right, I'll uh, I'll go get my copies of Brain Taping Warehouse out from my collection, <laughs> and we'll make it happen. Yeah, Steve. Let's do this. Uh, well, brain taping. Actually, uh, do you want to take the lead on Jiteki because you've been playing a lot of Personal Evolution? I do. So um, all of my experimentation on the corpse side has been Jiteki Personal Evolution. So I was. I felt like um, they got a huge boost with this set. So I started experimenting with them and trying a lot of the cards and kind of seeing how they, how good they were. So I just made the normal personal evolution deck. You've got House of Knives. Um, I threw in the new Blood in the Water card, which is amazing. And you've got Sting and you've got, um, I think I'm actually building it off of the one you built where I have the other three too, which isn't actually doing super well um i think i'm gonna swap those out for some three fives mm. and then it's using mitosis so i think you can do a version with mitosis or you can do a version without mitosis and i actually kind of ran out of deck slots so i took out the moon pools which i think is a good card especially when you're trying to protect your remotes because you can use moon pool to buff like an urtica cipher or something if they run it my kind of uh, strategy here is to basically uh get as much kind of stuff onto the table as possible because you're basically saving clicks for yourself for later. If Blood in the Water is on the table, I have gotten a very large number of kills where I have either used click, 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 score a sting, which takes the runner down to zero cards. And then I just score Blood in the Water for zero clicks. And that is like a gnarly MP and kills them. Very, very common to get a kill with Blood in the Water. And so what I've been doing is I did Mitosis, Clearing House, throw a couple traps in there. So I've got some um, Cerebrals. That was a big deal. Uh, it's Cerebrals plus Urticas. And then some Agendas as well. And you use Mitosis to get those ex extra advancement counters out there. And then between clearing house and bladder wart and maybe being able to score like a sting you can kill the runner from five cards very easily wow. interesting um or just or just blood in the water i mean there are there are so many crazy combos like let's say you get uh three bladder warts out there and i know you and i have been arguing about this because you keep telling me to res bladder wart immediately 
But I actually think that just keeping it as a face down card until you have that kill potential has been proving way more valuable to me. Now it has it has this weird condition with the money situation because the bladder war only triggers if you have less than four credits. So y- you could do some tricks though. Like for example, I have a pad campaign installed and I'm at five credits. I can res all three bladder warts plus pad campaign and then I can trigger the bladder warts first. The first one goes off, I have zero, doesn't net damage, gets me a credit. Or, I'm sorry, gets me a credit, doesn't net damage. Second one gets me a credit, doesn't net damage. Third one gives me a credit, doesn't net damage. Then the pad campaign fires and puts me at four so the bladder warts wouldn't trigger. Um, and the timing on that's kind of like a really specific one-time thing. But um, when you combine like three bladder warts, it's very commonly a kill when you combine it with blood in the water. Clearinghouse also enables it super hard. I haven't actually landed that a single time. I have, in fact, 100% <laughs> rate runners. I install my clearinghouse and they run it. They don't run any other cards all game, but they just know that's the clearinghouse. That it's a clearing. They just know and they kill it every single time. I haven't had a single one survive yet, but um. But the kill potential of a double advanced clearinghouse plus like bladderwort, and um, there's a lot of really clever tricks. Like you have two blood in the waters in hand, and then you 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 get the runner down to one card, and then you go install advanced blood in the water, score it, install blood in the water, score it, and kill them. So it's like the new neural EMP, which is Jinteki personal evolution was really really lacking. So that's super exciting, and I've been having a lot of fun with it. It's been a really fun deck. Um, it's kind of weird because a lot of Issa decks are just not running remotes at all. They're just only playing their own cards, and then you just kill them once you get enough of a board state built up. So it's kind of weird, but um, but it's been really fun, and it's something. It's a, I've never in my netrunner career ever really committed to playing like personal evolution, so it's kind of fun taking my first dive into it as well. Do you feel like that's a mistake that some of these players might be making is they should be kind of contesting and just poking these remotes and not letting you build up, you know, like five to six cards face down, no advancements? Um, well, the the deck is needs uh, a combo to win. So it needs cards on the table. And the way you can beat it is if you just run every remote and you never let you you never let the corp build up stings on the table, you know, uh, blood in the water on the table, bladder water on the table, clearing house on the table. Uh, and so what I've done is I basically balanced the deck out with enough traps that hopefully it punishes the runner if they do try to do that. Okay. And so mitosis helps because the only traps you really had access to before were Urtica and Snare throwing cerebrals in there plus clearing house has been a real it's it's a real kind of like one two punch uh that i think is necessary for the deck to succeed in my personal okay. opinion but it was it was not winning before i put cerebrals in because i didn't have enough traps i had like 12 agendas in the deck or 11 agendas and the runners would just run every card and it would either be an agenda which is good for them or it would be a bladder wart, which is good for them to trash or it would sometimes be a snare, but I only had three. So they knew the odds were in their favor. Um, buff- buffing up the trap number definitely made it scarier for them to run remotes and the deck started performing better. And of course, I can't sing Anemone's praises enough, but that's another kind of almost combo enabler too, right? Because suddenly, you know, they take the two unexpected net damage that they can't 
either they weren't didn't see coming. They thought they could break the ice. It could be big. Yeah, well, if you can get an anemone, like you don't want to ever rev res the anemone on the central. Like I've basically just been comboing it with bladder warts, basically. Um, so I kind of get enough stuff on the table and now my anemones, which I normally would just install over a remote to protect like a sting or something like that. Now I can just throw an anemone over a central server and if they run and get hit by the anemone and steal an agenda, uh, and then they drop and they're at like three cards, I can have a kill combo with either scoring a sting plus a bladder wart plus a blood in the water or um, do a trick of light off of a Urtica Cypher to get myself that extra wow. click that I need to maybe install Blood in the Water um, to get the kills. So it's pretty uh, it's pretty cool. And I, and I should add that Blood in the Water is a fantastically designed card. I, I think I can't say that enough. It's, uh, it's like, why did it FFG print this card? It's such a cool agenda. I know. Oh my god! Well, and it and it's not only like it's it solves so many problems just by existing. The biggest one being it's a two point agenda. So, Jinteki has this problem where they have these good agendas that they want to run, and then they have to put in these filler agendas, and then they just don't do a lot of good things for the corp. And so you're just putting them in to meet your agenda density ratio, and and they don't do anything for you. And that's always been a problem for PE. And so having this just like freaking powerhouse of an agenda that it's like it's like it's like it's like hostile takeover for wayland you're like you're telling me my money cards are also agendas and therefore i can't like i i really only have yeah. you know 17 agenda points in my deck because really three of the agendas are just money cards for me so it makes my deck feel not as agenda flooded i guess which is really cool and uh we've talked a lot about pe but there are some really interesting Mavirus is one that. Uh, oh yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> like the whole overpowered combo that got banned in standard, right? Yes. Yeah, so, in standard, there's the neutral agenda in ashes, uh, cyberdeck sandbox, right? It says it says when you purge, also when you purge agenda counters, gain four credits. So it gives you four when you score it, and every time for then on when you purge, you get four credits. And then there was a card that was. Almost verbatim what is on the virus, except without the net damage. And now they've put it in Jinteki, and we have that combo still. So it's a fun, definitely I'm, I'm running it, I think if you're running a Trick of, a trick of Light deck maybe in uh, Wayland, you're probably importing one or two of these, just to be able to hopefully open up a window through Clot. I'm doing the same thing in my uh, Mirror Morph deck. I have two of these just to try to either open up windows or punish the rudder for running a remote and purging. So the main reason you're running Mavarus, which is a, a 3-1 that you can purge viruses at instant speed, and it's a trap. So if the runner accesses it, it purges viruses, including from archives. That's that's kind of the big thing, is, is that it, it poisons archives, where if they run archives, it purges, and that triggers your Cyberdeck Sandbox agenda to give you four credits, or eight, if you have two of them scored. Um, and then, and then also you could just install it into a server, pay three to res it, purge, gain eight, protect yourself from clot. It's, it's pure money. It's great. And, and also it makes it so, let's say you can't protect archives and they're running leech or something or botulises. You know, they dirty laundry archives now. They also lose all their tokens. So there's a, like you said, yeah. you could poison archives and, and maybe relieve a little pressure from yourself by doing it. And 
Uh, it's definitely a card that if I have it in my head and you sabotage me, it's going in archives. And I'm happy it's there. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, that combo is really, really strong. And I, I think there there was some neat ice. Uh, definitely finally getting a uh, Jinteki barrier is, you know, for startup, there wasn't a Jinteki barrier ice. So now with, wow. with Ivik. Um, the, the new century... I'm not. I'm not going to be able to pronounce it. Uh, Bathynomus. If I said that right. Bathonomous. Bathonomous. It's like anonymous. It's like an anonymous. Bath. Okay. Bathonomous. Bathonomous. I like that. I I don't know if that's correct, but that's what I'm calling All right. it. Uh, I I think it's fine, but I also does it make it enemy sad? What do you think that there's another century that? Oh, jeez. Um. I was really worried. Like, I felt like one of Anemone's biggest virtues is that it costs three. And people are like, ah, Jinteki on three. Now I won't die. And then they die to Anemone. And that was this big thing. But now Bathonomous comes in. Now everyone's paying attention to three costs. Actually, I think that's not true. Everyone was paying attention to three because they died to Anemone. Yeah, that's true. So we've all learned our lesson. I didn't think it was that good. But... I think I I don't know. I think it might have a place in this world. I definitely put it in my PE deck and I had three of them over archives and the runner could only deal with two of them. And so one of them went off and it does three net damage, which is insane. So um three net damage for three credits if the runner doesn't install a sentry breaker, that's pretty mean. And now a four strength ice for three credits. I mean that's also pretty mean, even though it only has one sub. We all know that if it was two subs, that wouldn't mean anything anyway, because everything breaks two subs for free, right, Botulus? That's right. Boomerang. Right? Well, not not Botulus. Botulus destroys yeah. this. Boomerang and the boat both do in pairs, though. And uh, the final thing is there's a... I don't know if people have been able to pull it off repeatedly, but I've scored a Regenesis and managed to get another agenda out of Archives into my square area. It feels great. I don't know if someone's made a deck that consistently can pull it off but i there's something that's going to be there probably in when parhelion is out and the, so i remember we started experimenting with regenesis and we're like this seems really fun and there is well first of all we accidentally kept ruining ourselves with subliminal yeah that's right which was really funny because so regenesis says when you score this agenda if no corp cards have been added to archives this turn, you may reveal a face-down agenda in archives and add it to your score area. So you cannot play any cards that are operations. You cannot use something like the dude with the hat. Uh, Bass Cherry Boga. Bass Cherry Boga. You cannot use Bass Cherry Boga because he gives you an extra click and then he goes into archives. And then you, so you can't fast advance this. Unless it's off of a Sansan or of a DC Birsk. Um, but you can't use Trick of Light. You can't use Biotic Labor or anything like that. Um, you can't big deal it because big deal is removed from game. Oh, oh, oh my God. Okay, yeah, big deal. Totally fair. Um, that's a good point. So, so there's like these very specific tricks you can do in order to get Regenesis out. And then the second half is you need to figure out a way to get the agenda into your archives um early which jinteki's got tools for that right we've got um hansei review and you've just got like sneakily overdrawing so what we did was we did restoring humanity this is this is great guys all right listen restoring humanity with san san city grid and did um 
and Kakarembo, yeah. right? To like to to re- either recur our five three agendas and try to score them, or to re- just recur our sand sands, and then uh, you would dump your agenda with the Kakarembo because it lets you discard cards from hand, and then you would score it. You would install your sand sand, and then you would fast advance the Regenesis out next turn. Yeah, you could do s- silly things with it, and and it also turns all your cards and archives face down, which restore humanity love. So, right. So. I don't know if it's good, but that seems... It, it's so fun. Like, 10 out of 10 fun card. They're good cards. And there is the trick with Moonpool. Now, this is assuming somehow you have a Moonpool out. You can, at the end of the runner's turn, trigger Moonpool to put an agenda in your uh, archives. and then right. So there is that gimmick as well you can pull off. Oh, that's super... That's actually... That's really good. So you just have Moonpool on the table, and if they leave it out for one turn you get the opportunity to regenesis out of 5-3. That's, that's crazy. There are uh, agendas that you might want to pull into archive, I mean, uh, score. Like, uh, try to think of, Cyberdex is one of them, where you don't get that purge for putting it into your scoring area with regenesis, but anytime you purge in the future, that Cyberdex is now working. Uh, I think another person who to- told me about this was Naval Gazer, who I did a lot of the Hyobu decks back before Midnight Sun was out with, he was trying to regenesis out um, the one agenda that could get rid of two clicks if you remove it from the game. Uh, what was that agenda called? False, false lead. lead. So he was regenesis, regenesis, play regenesis, scoring false leads, and then playing PE. So he had just a lot of chip damage and then at the right moment, he could hopefully kill you with a blood of the water by sacrificing uh, false lead. Oh, false lead, a classic PE agenda. <laughs> anyway, just there's no other agendas that really score uh, or have a positive benefit if you score them with Regenesis, except those two right now that I can think of. Hmm. Yeah, that's a complicated card. You can't you can't play subliminal, Stephen. I don't know. don't place subliminal on the turn you're nope. going to score Regenesis. Don't do it. <laughs> or you'll, you'll ruin yeah, it. Yeah, you'll be very sad. Wait, we only scored Regenesis. What did we do wrong? Oh, no, subliminal. <laughs> <laughs> we actually, in that game, we took subliminal and then we played it. And then on Jinteki.net, we did undo click. And the person was like, why would you undo you're like, click? You're like, so wait, wait, you'll see. It, no, it's super important that I don't play subliminal this turn. Yeah. It was great. Oh no! All right. Well, uh, I think I think to sum it up, I think Jinteki of all of the core factions got the most, the most stuff. Uh, the probably the biggest power level boost where they were probably a little underpowered, um, and I feel like now they're they're in a really yeah. decent spot. So, uh, and not only that, not only did they get powerful cards, they got some like really cool cards. Um, so I, I'm I'm really excited. Good job, Nisa. Yeah. Good job. And All right. uh, the other, I mean, NBN, I think, got the best identity uh, right out the gate. Rob DeVost Consulting. Yes. I've really Yeah, so. This. All right, so tell me what you're doing with Rob DeVost. Well, uh, again, uh, Andre of the Metropol Grid posted a standard list that was only a few cards away from a startup that the general principle is Rob DeVost with NAPD Cordon. So 
you could oh, yeah nice if you install advanced play at apd you know so napd says it's a lockdown yep. so it only lasts for one turn and it says agendas cost four additional money to steal and they cost two additional money per advancement counter and then Prov Devost says, put an advancement counter when the runner makes a successful run once per turn. Yeah, and if... So, so it's like defense. Exactly. And you also run a lot of annoying things the runner has to trash. So you've got Vladisipur's Crit. You've got Ubiquitous Vig. You've got... Maybe you're doing a more trap or acid-heavy version. So you've got just a lot of weird different lines you could go. Vasilisa, if I said that right. Yep is another great ice in that deck because suddenly they could run your remote and you added another advancement token onto that agenda. Now that cost to steal has gone way up, especially if it's a Belota. You know, I think you sent me a picture of you having to pay 17 to steal a Belota or something obnoxious like that. Oh no, that was from the that was from the uh, Emerald City oh. grid. Someone someone was doing that in one of their game and it was super, it was just, they just sent a screenshot and it said, you have accessed Bologna. Pay 17 to steal, question <laughs> mark? That's, that's sort of what this Metropole Grid deck was doing. It's just like... Oh, that's so good. And if you have a, a Vladisi Burst Grid with two tokens on it, and you move those over, and you have your Bologna and an APD cord on it, it's like, do you want to... Unstealable. Yeah, unstealable. Yeah. Um, the other big, I think, piece of this pie is uh, Crypto Crash. Because uh, Artificial yeah. Crypto Crash, if you could... Just delete seven money, seven creds from the runner's coffers. That's huge. And if you've got a lot of annoying assets they have to trash on top of it, you're really taxing their economy a lot. Um, and I think Crypto Crash is a great, uh, a great, uh, what would you call, like a just asset defender, basically. Yeah. You know, um, the runner needs money to deal with your assets and your upgrades and all that stuff. And if you score a Crypto Crash, it's... I mean, yeah, they're not they're not trashing your Vladisi Bierska anymore or your Sand Sand or whatever it is. And the other thing is, if you could get the runner down to zero credits, it's a pretty desolate. They, you know, you've almost bought yourself a turn because the, a lot of their cards cost money to play in the first place. So that's a huge tempo hit to them. If you ever get the bid zero, it's pretty devastating. Sure. The other thing I think you mentioned early, why don't you talk about the tag stuff that Ed B had got in this uh, set? Um, yeah, so uh, they've got a card, Drago Ivanov, um, and you can, as a paid ability, remove two advancement counters from him to give the runner a tag. And there's not a lot of tag punishment in startup right now. Um, one of the most common ones is a card called Retribution from Wayland, which I think is two influence, and I think it costs two, and it says just trash a runner card. This is really important because Drago is one of the only proactive cards that the Corp can use to like attack the runner. Uh, most bad things that happen to the runner result from the runner running um, either through ice or mm -hmm. traps. And, uh, and so if the runner just sits back and does nothing, the Corp oftentimes doesn't have a lot that they can do other than score agendas um and so we're kind of leaning into this sort of well i think it's a good design direction in general basically corpse have tools that they can use to punish the runner um you know with, with within certain limits so like artificial crypto crash is an example of that i'm going to deny you money um if you're gonna not interact with me uh, and that's that's super good, especially when it denies you an entire boat almost. 
Yeah, that's that's a big hit. And and then you know, let's say let's say we're talking about a world where the boat um, starts becoming a big deal. Uh, I can never advance Drago. I can just throw him into a remote. And if you're scared of you know wasting your time or you know not not worth spending the time to do that run, you can you, you can go install advance or I'm sorry, you can go advance advance Drago. Res, give the runner a counter as a paid ability, and then um, play Retribution, kill the boat. Uh, and so I kind of expect if the boat becomes a big thing, Endurance, uh, we're going to see more uh, No Free Lunch as a defensive card in um, Criminal or Shaper decks that are running the boat just to counter this combo because if you can destroy a boat, it's pretty bad yeah. for uh, for the runner. And... Uh... There is a new tag punishment as well, I should add, where they've got a way to convert tag, tags into victory points now. Right. So the big deal of NBN, backroom machinations, they can remove a tag from the runner and gain an agenda point. This is actually the first deck that I tried in in uh, in the Midnight Sun is I went for all three pointers. I went for... Well, what did I do? I just went for all three pointers plus backroom machinations, yeah. right? And then you can use Drago... If they don't go tag me from running your servers, then you can also just basically use Drago as like this weird hostile takeover. If he's on the table, you go advance, advance, score, give the runner a tag, play backroom machinations, and get a, a victory point. And you know, if you're sitting at six points, then you can win yeah. the game off of that, uh, which is cool. There's a lot of really cool, weird things you can do with that, I think. And uh, with DC Burst Grid, you could combo with it too, right? Where, you know, if you have a double advanced... Right? Yeah. Oh, man. So, when you were playing your Pravdivos deck against me, I encountered something I had never encountered before. It was the first time where, like, a, like a Vladi, just a Vladisi Beerskrit in a server was a threat I had to deal with. Because, normally, um, if it's just sitting in a server unprotected, like, it's not a threat because you... If the corp decides to advance it, then it becomes a threat. But if I make any run on any server now as Pravdivost against Pravdivost, they can put a counter on the Vladisi Beersk, and then on the next turn they can advance it, install an agenda, advance the agenda, um, move the counters over, and score a 3-2. Yeah. So... Um, I think you had, like, two or three Vladdies that were just sitting out there, and I had to not run, because if I did, you could advance the Vladdy, and then I would have to trash the Vladdy immediately, because it could score 3-2. Um, so that was that was a really cool interaction that we've never seen with Vladdy before, and it honestly made Vladdy way yeah. better of a card. Like, all the experimentation we did in the past felt pretty weak. <laughs> or, or you could do a Drago with it, or really all sorts yeah, of things. Yeah, and... I think in that one specific game, I had uh, Vasilisa's on over one, and I advanced the other. You know, advanced that one. So if you ran oh, it, I could. That's dirty. Yeah, I could advance the other Vladdy grid. So there was some weird shenanigans happening. Um, the other, we're we're about to talk about the way the ID ob, but that's another thing to keep in mind is if you ob can tutor out Drago which we'll get to in a second. So that's a way you can do the combo pretty easily. Just find him and import him into Wayland. Oh, wow. I, 
dude, I've done no experimenting with Wayland. I didn't even realize that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so you could, and you, because um, he's four influence as well, you could run just one or two of them and then just keep bringing it back with spin doctors into your R&D to keep tricking him out to give him tags and retribution them and things like that. So I, <laughs> I remember in our interview with Mike, he said Rick Shooter wasn't going to be good. Um, uh, which is funny because I don't think anybody expected the boat to be as good as yes. it is. And the boat is the ultimate rig shooter yeah. target. If, if you sink the boat, like that, that's, that's, that's rig shooting gold yeah, right there. Cool. And so uh, Drago, Drago retribution is the enabler for that. And uh, Ob can turn that combo on, which is real nice. Yeah, and, and I think maybe that will be something people have to pivot to if, if the boat keeps getting as, you know, as powerful as and a meta warping as we think it will be. Um, cool. Uh, um, so just one more thing is, is what I did. Uh, the one combo that I was trying that actually didn't turn out to be very good, but I'm going to continue believing in is ubiquitous vig with La Costa grid. Uh, and then the vig gives you credits equals the number of advancement counters. And then you put an advancement counter on it every turn. So turn one, it gives you one credit. Turn two, it gives you two credits. Turn three, it gives you three credits. Um, it was kind of weird because Vig wasn't that good, yeah. Which was surprising because because the runner trashed it every time, but like the the potential there is is a little insane when you think about it. Uh, you're like if the runner can't get into your server, you're looking at like a daily quest that gets stronger every time they make a run if you're proud to post or if they don't run then. And, and I think proud to post gets way better when you start having three to four face down cards. You know, or, or maybe you have three or four cards and they run one of them and then another one gets a token. So instead of, you, yeah. you have two VIGs and they are like, I'm going to try to lock you out of money. I'm going to trash this one VIG where you're like, well, you just turned the other one on over there. And uh, are you going to run and trash that one? Are you going to spend eight this turn to buy me one credit next turn? Suddenly the, <laughs> you know, the math starts getting really bad for the runner. True. Do do you think we have to run Vig in Pravdivost? I think it's that's probably the home of Vig. I think it it gets really good in that deck. It, it, or interesting. It, I yeah. I was gonna run it in uh, Hyobu with uh, Lacosta. That's my. Name, oh, that's uh, your don't, don't 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 tell anyone. That's that's gonna be my secrets. <laughs> my secret sauce. I'm gonna mitosis out ubiquitous vig over a lacosta and no one will see it coming <laughs> someone's like what is this you res it they're like i guess i'll run that next turn and or i'll light the fire that remote you'll just cry <laughs> oh no i'm so sad uh yeah i think Pravdivost is a really really cool idea i'm super impressed and interested in all the different things you can do with it and all the things it fundamentally does to the game um, super cool. I, 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 I'm really excited about it. And I normally am not super excited yeah, about it. It's definitely an interesting ID. I actually just one more thing I wanted to add. I know we wanted to move on to Wayland, but it's just like, it just like, so we're looking at this new style of NBN and, and you know, their whole thing has, has been like, they're, they're actually one of the most proactive corps because they have all of these tagging tools and they have all these money denial tools with like reversed accounts and stuff like that. Um, and I really like the direction that we're seeing NBN going with all these new tools. This feels 
so much better than me. I'm thinking about I'm games where I'm playing against Prav Devost, and I'm like, I want to run, and you're going to put a counter on this Vladdy grid, or you've got two unadvanced Vladdy grids, and if I run one, you're going to advance the other with Prav Devost, and that's going to allow you to fast advance a 3-2. And, and it's like, oh, it's this like threatening thing. Oh, you scored out a crypto crash, and now I don't have any money, so I can't trash all your stuff. And just, it makes me... It feels it feels so much better than hard hitting new CTM. Like interesting. It's the same sort of thing. Like it's the same sort of but like hard hitting new CTM is just the nastiest thing in the world to play against. Like you get up to like 20 credits and then you run their remotes and you spend all of your money and you still get tagged, then you get hit with hard hitting news and now you're dead. And that's the game. And like I, I I know it's it's a whole conversation that people yeah. talk about all the time, and you know people in startup don't really have to deal with this, but like, I I I like the idea of NBN putting a lot of pressure on the runner, especially money pressure, and I think that is where that that was like the center of where that design originally came from. And, um, obviously, we're playing with startup, we're playing with a smaller pool, but. Um, this just feels like a really cool, interesting remote play NBN with a lot of interesting threats. Um, and, and it feels way better than, than that deck, which, you know, I mean, it's been around for a long time too. So, you know, it's been years and years and years that we've been playing it. So maybe we're just tired of it, but, uh, I'm, I'm super excited to see kind of where NBN goes now. Also, uh, I guess because there's not as much tag punishment in startup, the money war, it's not like you're tagged with two tags and you just lose the game because they, the corp plays boom and does seven meat damage to you, uh, right. and that's something in standard where if you get two or two tags or more, you're in, you know, and they have a, a kill card like boom, you're gonna lose. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you know, the combo is, you know, you you play Drago, you play big deal. And then you put two counters, and then you play boom. I mean, that that I, I expect that to just be destroying standard in the next few weeks. That's probably the new meta. Big deal, boom, Drago. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> All three of them are trashable cards, and it's like fifteen influence just to play two of them. I'm super excited. And the in startup, what I was going to add more about the whole buddy war thing is. You having no money doesn't exactly mean you will lose. It just makes for more interesting decisions where the runner might have to click for credits to play their dirty laundry to try to claw back their money because you've crypto crashed them. Uh, but it didn't mean mm-hmm. they just, you know, I have two tags, I lose. I broke, I'm going to lose. You could lose if it's the last agenda, but hope you know it's probably because you trashed too many cards or removed enough of your credits so there's a little i feel like a little bit more friendlier interaction going on one one kind of risk is that if like because i mean it feels cooler to make it just generally about money but one of the particular risks is that um like a combo piece ending the game i mean that obviously feels bad but like unlocking kind of this 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 play style where the corp is like actively denying you money can actually become super npe as well okay um where it's like okay you're attacking my money i can't deal with your cards now i can't and not only that but i also can't play my own cards um and like the runner having money is one of the fundamental parts of the game so like it's cool that 
denying the runner money blocks them from trashing your stuff. But the risk is that um, depending on how good it is, it can't, like we're turning into like active money denial. And that's, that's a bit of a, a hot danger zone. That you got to be really, really careful with when you're designing around because um, you know, you don't want to live in that world where it's just like, you never have any money. I win. <laughs> well, and you know, as long as Roseki is in the game, that's not going to be the case because the runner will get their money for free. <laughs> so don't worry. Uh, <laughs> the counter to Roseki, oppressive money yeah. denial cork decks. <laughs> Guys, we fixed yeah. the game. <laughs> um, okay. But, uh, I guess it also kind of shows how, things like the boat and pinhole threading have warped the meta slightly too. Maybe not warp, but influence the meta, right? Where you have to run the lockdowns now. You can't run Skunk Works and uh, Anna Wedding Void because, um. you know, the only safe way to protect your agendas in uh, Proud Devost is just to play NAPD Cordon. Or in mm-hmm. HB, you'd run Next Activation Command to say, hey, you have to actually get it with breakers. You can't just use the boat now. So because pithole threading exists, because the boat exists, we have to use these event-based defensive tools to to score the agendas now. That's pretty cool. I, I like the lockdowns becoming more popular. I always thought they were really fun, and I appreciate that they're also really powerful. Um, more lockdowns, I'm into yeah. that. I think it's a neat design space. and um, It feels better than Skunk Void, too. Yeah, it, it, or... And maybe pithole threading gets so oppressive that then no one runs pithole threading because why would you run defensive upgrades? So there is maybe, you know, you never know. Little uh, yeah, I mean, meta it, play. Get in one of those. Get in one of those weird chicken uh, chicken situations where you're like, well, I'm not going to run the counter if you're not going to run the card. And then suddenly the guy's like, well, I'm going to run it. But you might run into you know a runner that packs only one of the answers to it so it's it's i think it's going to be interesting to have these cards there and but we're going log let's let's get into wayland here and wrap it up so uh, all right so what does wayland got for well, us? well it's got another very neat id ob super heavy logistics whenever you trash a res card except during installation so you can't like have a res dice and install a new ice there you could search your RD for a card with a printed res cost that's exactly one credit less, install that res that card, ignoring credit costs. So if you pull out Archer, you still have to sacrifice an agenda, but you still could find an Archer this way. Um, Do you ignore the install cost of ice with that? Yes, all credit costs. So if you've got a four ice deep server and you put this as the fifth ice, you would ignore all the credit costs. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah. Okay. But the key the key is is that you have to trash it via a trash effect. You cannot you cannot trigger it by like overriding an asset yes. and you can't trash it by overriding an ice. Yeah. Um so it has to be some triggered effect which would be um uh what is it? Extract trash a yeah. card, gain money, something like you that. You also have cards like um uh, when they run out of credits, they trash themselves. Things like Nico campaign or Maryland campaign. So if they, oh. they, yeah, they run out of money, they, especially Maryland, Maryland gets shuffled back in your deck, but it was trash, so you could tutor out a one-cost thing now. Or, or a card that has like a self-trash effect, like Border Control, which is not in startup, but um, it's got the bin yeah. icon. Or 
Um, oh, another effect would be uh, there's a new ice that's really development that's got a subroutine that's just, just trash this ice. So if the runner doesn't break that and you're playing ob, you can now search your deck for a four-cost ice to replace it when it dies. Right. Uh, it was envelopment? It was envelopment, yeah. Yeah, so envelopment self-trashes, which makes a lot of sense in ob. Um, okay, so we've got the ob package, the stuff that works with ob, which is all based around self-trashing, which... I think the idea for Ob is already super powerful. I mean, your idea is literally a tutor, which is amazing. But it's only a tutor for installed cards. Um, but still, uh, also, I guess it doesn't work for agendas, which is kind of interesting. But then you have to have all these cards that trigger it, which is pretty interesting. Um, so it kind of feels like Blue Sun to me. It does It does have that kind of combo-y potential. And I think the big combo people have been, I've, I've seen that people have published their decks is uh, you get Bass Cherry Boga with the ID. So you trash like a Hordum that costs four with one of your start of turn abilities, uh, like the Excavator, and you then install Bass Cherry Boga and then use Bass Cherry Boga to fast advance out a card. Interesting. And what would you install with Bass Cherry Well, Boga? you can't if it's the start of the turn because you've already done that, that turn. But if the... If you could pull it off on the rudder's turn or have it already installed on the board, you would get to use it that turn. So it's only the first card that's trash that's rest you could find in a turn. But but still, there are fun like if they let's say you have a bass tree boga on the board and you get to pull it off, you will get another card to replace it. You probably find a Maryland campaign or um, another card, any kind card. I'm just realizing now that um, this. Uh, this new asset here, Sviatogor uh, uh, Excavator. Um, so when, as a start of turn trigger, trash one of your install cards to gain money. That That is a, uh, that's actually a mega old callback to an original uh, corset card. Or maybe the second cycle or something like that. Where there was a card that let you just start recycling your cards off the board to gain money. And it was never played ever. Uh, cause that's not very good. And I think maybe the design team was like, you know what, that, you know, way self trash Wayland needs to, needs to come back, back, back to, you know, using the whole, using the whole, what, what, what was it? Somebody called, uh, uh Wayland uses the whole, the whole uh, Buffalo, the whole animal, yeah, the whole, buf- the whole yeah. Buffalo. <laughs> so uh, good. Yeah. And, Oh, yeah, here we go. Security Subcontract is the name of the card. Uh, click Trash or Res Piece of Ice Game 4 credits. So I think the big part of that is it costs a click to use. Like, the the fact that this costs nothing to res and it happens at the start of a turn passively is big. Now, you can't... That Obviously, you can use that with Ob to install another card out of your deck, but that card... You cannot trigger another card that has a start of turn trigger like a Maryland yeah. Campaign with that. Um, so... That's probably a good design choice, honestly. Otherwise, there would be all sorts of wacky effects going. Um, we tried really hard. We searched the entire card pool uh, for startup cards to figure see if there was any way that we could get like a clearinghouse out and like get advancement counters on it and like kill the runner from deck or something like that. And we couldn't find anything that would do that, unfortunately. Oh well. Yeah, I, I do think there's some interesting 
Like, uh, someone's going to figure out an ob deck. I do think it's way more interesting probably with way more combos in standard compared because it's just more cards. I think there's probably a Drago combo deck too that is going to go ahead and try to retribution cards out so it, it finds a Drago to, to kill the boat or kill a specific breaker. Um, yeah. Also, another card that's very powerful in Ob, but also great as a splash, is Stavka, which I, re- I really yeah. enjoyed. Yeah. Let's talk about cards that are, are just generally Yeah, good. that's definitely Stavka. Um, it's, it's a Century Destroyer, cost four, with just a strength of two, but when you res it, you can trash any of your installed cards. They don't have to be resed. And if you do, the ice gets plus five strength. And then just has two subroutines, trash a program, trash a program. That's great. Um, super good. Uh, super good. You were splashing it in like out of faction and just being like, oh, I guess I'll just trash this other ice to get, uh, you know, a, a seven strength trash two program century for four. And I mean, it was scary, yeah. right? I mean, I would have been scared if I wasn't running yes. the boat. That's yeah. for sure. <laughs> Uh, I think that's a super. I think that's a super good trick. It's only two influence. You can run it in a lot of different decks, and it's it's real spicy. And it's almost always going to be good because everyone's running Rizeki or Fermenters nowadays, and so you can get some real good value out of it. And it's still something they have to deal with later on. And another thing you could do with it is it could trash any installed card, so you could have it, you know, trashed agenda. So it's it's protecting a, a remote. And then you use it to trash the contents of the remote. And then it's not quite an end the run, but it's like a don't steal the agenda. Yeah. At least. And I think I've seen a few Restoric Humanity decks that are trying to score with the Genesis that are doing that, where they like, they put out two remotes and they're like, hey, are you going to run that Regenesis or this Regenesis? Because I've got to score one of them, hopefully. And then they, well, you could also trash your 5-3 with it. Yep. That's exactly right. Which is which is pretty dirty. Um, wow. Interesting. Stavka with the... Okay, that's pretty And slick. once you get a critical mass of like Anemone, Stavka, Anawitic Void, Hansei Review, where you can sort of manipulate when things are going in your archives at lots of different times, you might be able to pull off the Regenesis move. I don't know. Just spitballing. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah, so Stavka, super awesome card. I'm really excited to see it in all sorts of places. Uh, in Ob, outside There is Ob. one, uh, there's a new tag punishment called Trust Operation, and I think you have to build around it, but I've seen someone bring back multiple archers with it, and it was painful. Uh, play only if the runner is tagged. Trash one installed resource. Install and res one card from archives. Install, ignoring all costs. Okay, so you you get a free resource trash, and you get a free res, so you could res archers. But it's got to be in archives already. So it was like a Reality Plus deck that wanted to tag me, and it would either hot save review or overdraw its archers, and then it would, yeah, trust op it back. And then it also had ganked, so you were just like, oh no, I have to run this archer twice. Oh, ganked archer, yeah, that's And then it also had... um, uh, the one barrier card that says uh, wraparound. So it was also running wraparounds because the idea is that I, I'm going to kill, hopefully, your barrier breakers and now wraparound's really annoying to get through. 
unless they have the boat. Yeah, that makes complete sense. So like rig shooter Wayland is like maybe coming back is kind of the kind of yeah. thing. And the final card that I I have I've mutually assured destruction is pretty wild. Uh so yeah, everyone's kind of saying that it's not very useful in startup because you can give the runner a bunch of tags. And then but wait, we don't have boom in this format. How how do I win without boom? How how do you play this game without boom? Uh, <laughs> it's it's no, they're right though. There is no, there isn't, there's nothing to do with the tags. I don't really yeah. know what you're gonna do. Well, you've do. got backroom and you've got psycho, so you could psycho out an orbital superiority. That's one idea you could you could do for me damage. Oh, orbital superiority, yeah. Um, so I, I feel like it's a psycho deck probably with mutually assured destruction you could be running near earth hub and just have a ton of remotes and just so that you blow everything up and you're gonna psycho out orbitals or cycle out a beal to win orbital superiority i always forget about that agenda it's so cool it's so hard to pull off but it is it's it's very much a netrunner dream like that's what dreams are made of you know like janky johnny combos you know, we uh, we don't get the we don't get the benefit of just power shutdowning our entire deck and then just playing the combo. That's the this is the game yeah. now. You know who can play the combo faster. Uh, we gotta we, we gotta get out there and do the jank quadra advance and then leave the card on the table for ten turns, making them think it was Inertica, and then score. I guess so. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Double double Vladisi Birsk on the uh, orbital superiority to tag them and then do five meat. It damage. worked once. It worked once, and I never played it again. Dude, once is once yeah. is enough. All right, you're a hero if you can get that to work. Once. Uh, we, um, I, I like it. I think it's going to be better in Perhelion. There's going to be something that combos with this card that's coming down the down the road. I think. Yep, you're right. What could it be? Not high profile target because that's banned standard, but maybe they'll reprint it. <laughs> Oof, jeez, uh, I hope yeah. not. I think I'll stick with Psycho. Yeah, I think Psycho is definitely though. There might be something that you know you get increasing benefits with more more tags. Maybe, maybe you could mutually assure destruction and rebuild everything. I don't know. Res everything. Remove remove for each tag removed. Install and res a card from archives. Yeah, for free. I mean it could be mutually assured destruction into fire everything. It would be thematic. Oh my gosh, that's super good. Fire everything is that the name? That's of what the I'm card? gonna call it. You're inventing yeah, I'm this inventing now? It now, Steven. We need to stop spoiling real right. cards and ruining right. the game for the developers. They're like, stop. We've already spoiled the actual HBID that was coming out. Oh, that was so fun to do last episode. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to next set and seeing if any of our predictions were right. <laughs> um, so the one other card that I wanted to mention that I actually was really impressed by was Envelopment. Um, so it's that five cost barrier that strength five that gets a uh, four and the runs um, and then trash this ice. Um, afterwards and it seems like it's probably not good in anywhere but ob for the cost you're paying for it but you know it reminds me of hive yeah uh and, and i just remember those decks that were running hive which is like what was it three res five and the run subroutines or something like that it was like five strength but it loses one subroutine for every scored agenda point 
And so if you're playing a, a deck where you're like, I'm never scoring agendas. I'm just going to kill you with cards. That's my only plan. Then Hive was super good. It was a super taxing mm-hmm. um, thing. And and I think it I think that's a cool kind of direction for Wailing to go where they're like, the runner's like, I'm going to face check you. It's going to be a barrier. And therefore, I'm not going to get punished. But um, then Wayland's like, all right, well, I'm going to at least be strong for a little while. It's kind of like the... Uh, it's kind of like that HB identity, but of ice. I'm sorry, HB agenda. What was it? The one that's super strong that d- is worth no points for the first four turns. Oh, or whatever? Um, I can't even remember oh, the name. Oh my gosh. Project. Is that even in? Oh my gosh. Vacheron. Vacheron yes. Yeah. Project Vacheron. It's the Project Vacheron of ice, which is terrible. And ice, you know that that doesn't sound good at all. But I I thought it was a cool idea, at least. Um, and then an ob itself trashes. When the runner runs it, which is kind of interesting, and gives you this free four cost install, and it's taxing to the boat. I mean, it's it's one of those. It's probably other than Archer, the yes. one Wayland card that's gonna force them to spend, you know, three to four tokens just to get through. Sorry, two to three, True. two to three tokens yeah. to get through. So you might want to wait to res it. Yeah. Until yeah. Uh, until they're doing like a deep dive or something. That's true, and. I think that people will come up with really neat ob combos as we get the pool gets bigger in the Midnight Sun. There's going to be other cards and more ratios that work um, with ob, I think. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I think it's a cool ID. Uh, I haven't experimented with it at all, but um, that's because I'm having too much fun with it. You are. But, you know, eventually I will. But yeah. Do you think it's... Do you think it's going to be good in startup for, you know, the next couple weeks? I don't think Ob is going to be the best. I think the probably better decks are still maybe a built-to-last um, uh, trick-of-light deck is probably faster and more consistent. So did did Wayland get anything that's going to help them, really, this this set? Kind of feels like... Ob has got the the rig shooter combo. It's got trust operation, which might work really well. Um, Wayland didn't get like a lot of cards that are gonna help the other IDs a lot. Maybe Stavka. Stavka's good out of faction, but that's basically it. Yeah, I feel like Stavka is probably probably the best card to run in the other IDs. You know, if you could trash a a spin doctor, you didn't need to shuffle things in yet or something or trash a, a, a ice that's no longer taxing them at all like an enigma or a palisade just to destroy most of their rig quandary it does like it does all fit into this cohesive theme of Wayland basically being this rush faction that uses like a, a temporary board right they're going to invest as little as possible to cards that do something really good but then they're they're binary once once the runner can deal with it, the runner can deal with it, and the card is useless, um, like wraparound. So then you then get extra value out of it with cards like Mutually Assured Destruction, or you utilize Rig Shooting to basically turn your cards back on. You know, I actually failed to mention this, but uh, there's an NBN Ice that's like, sort of like a toll booth. That's a four strength, five to res, that could be advanced. So we have an adv- we have an advanceable NBN Ice that. When the runner encounters it, Mestichestvo. Mestichestvo. And when you you can spend a token to make him lose three money, 
that there could be a glacier Wayland build that imports that, or maybe you just import one or two of them just to try to hurt their yeah. econ a little bit. Um, like things like built to last, yeah, with right? Kambe grid. You know, if if it's getting a token every turn, oh. yeah. Kayambe, yeah, that's spicy. And and you could do things like, hey, I can bet by myself time to then fast advance out with uh, Trick of Light. Or you've got like, hey, I'm Earth Station. Do you want to run by remote or HQ? You're going to spend and lose tons of money either way still. so. That's true. Those are all, those are all really good points. Uh, I think, so you're saying Wayland got... Some good NBN cards. That's this right. Set. That's how it always goes, right? They're stealing <laughs> from each other. All right, I'm gonna go build an ubiquitous Vig La Costa Earth Station deck, and you can't stop me. Uh, I can't wait to see this monstrosity in action. <laughs> the Hindenburg of decks. <laughs> oh my god! All right, so go. Uh, Jeez, oh, that was an exhausting overview. That's a lot of cards to go through. I can't believe it. Can't yeah. believe we did it. All right, anything else you want to mention? You know, I think. Uh, there's just going to be a lot of exciting Netrunner coming up between Worlds. The Continentals is coming up as well. Uh, we've got our tournament in a few weeks. So there's going to be a lot of great competitive Netrunner. There's also going to be a lot of, you know, our, our tournament will be a great way. If you can't, you don't have a local startup tournament, come play online with us and, you know, get some cool promos and uh, just check out the Midnight Sun Meta with us. Awesome. Yeah, I'd really like I'd really like to see anybody, especially people who can't make it to local metas. Um, last time we had a startup tournament, it was super fun to see the decks that people were playing. Uh, and since we just got a card drop, it's gonna oh, yeah. be super fun to see the decks that people are playing again. I'm super That's excited. Right. Well, all right, friends. Well, we'll see you next month. All right, thanks for joining everybody, and we'll see you one and a half months into the Midnight Sun meta. <laughs> Bye. Bye. All right, I got it. Let's try yeah. again. Are you ready? Welcome to Midnight Sun, Steven. Season. Oh my god, I can't. Season. Steven. Welcome to Midnight Steven Sun Season. All right, we're gonna get it. All right, 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 all right.